Well, any relationship of any kind certainly knows ups and downs. Whether it is uh, a married couple, whether it is uh, its close friends, uh, certainly like we're going to see today, co-workers. You know there are times when that relationship thrives and flourishes and then there are times when there may be some disagreement. And so this morning, uh, I want us to look at Acts chapter 15, uh, beginning with verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, where they and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So, I don't know about you, but working through Acts in the last uh, few months, and especially to what we've been covering in the last few weeks, I've really come to understand how important the church at Antioch was in the early days of the Christian movement. And so... What we see here mentions the it mentions the delivery of the letter uh, about four months ago, the Sunday after Easter. Uh, we talked about uh, Acts uh, chapter fifteen and the Council of Jerusalem, and how James, the brother of Jesus, stepped forward when the council was was meeting in Jerusalem and basically said, "Hey, brothers, we don't need to make it any more difficult than it has to be for people to come to Christ." And so, uh, and so that's what's going on with this letter because you have to remember we're meshing Jews and Gentiles. And so the Jews were saying, hey, there's a lot of our customs, a lot of our rituals that they need to be participating in. And the council on Jerusalem, they basically said no. They said if Jews want to continue some of the practices of Jews, that's fine. But these Gentiles that come to Christ... They don't need to do all of this stuff. Let's not put up barriers. Let's not put up roadblocks and make it more difficult, more challenging for someone to come to this faith. And so James recognized that this is a new covenant. This is different. And praise God that he did. And so, and so I read all that just to say that this is what it looks like when things are going well. They had been to Jerusalem, they come back to Antioch, they read the letter, and the believers in Antioch, because I have to believe that that is now a, a thriving, growing, uh, probably at this point a, a network of house churches. Early Christians, first century Christians, didn't have dedicated houses of worship. And so, and so Antioch, like Jerusalem or Rome or any place else, was likely a, a network of several house churches. And so, uh, 
And so they, they, they read the letter, they're encouraged, and then we find that we, we get some other names here, uh, that Judas and Silas, and they themselves, they're prophets. And, uh, and then we, we read that Paul and Barnabas remain in Antioch, and they and many others, it said. It wasn't just them, but many others taught and preached the word of the Lord. So that's the calm before the storm. Because then we get to verse 36. And in verse 36, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. I'm going to read that again. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So, many of you know what that's like. Someone that you work with, someone that you have been maybe lifelong friends with, someone that you're married to, and you have a disagreement. Doesn't take a a lot of imagination to understand that, does it, church family? You have a disagreement. It happens, right? I mean, you know, two people... You know, that, that just don't agree on something once upon, you know, every once in a while. I thought that would get at least a giggle from some of you. I thought that was kind of a, a humorous, thank you Tom, uh, you know, slide of the idea of Paul and Barnabas putting on the gloves and going at it. No, but for Luke to tell us that it was a sharp disagreement, okay, that one qualifier there tells us that this is not just a a run-of-the-mill discussion here. I believe this got pretty heated. Back in Acts 13, verse 13, I believe, is where we see where John Mark leaves them. And at that point, Luke just sort of mentions it, like John Mark did not go with them. Well, Paul looks at this, and he says, No, no, we're not taking him with us. Now, it's Barnabas' cousin. That's important to note. It's a relative of Barnabas. And so Barnabas, it's family. And some of y'all know what that's like. It's like, hey, it's family. I'm going to cut them more slack than I might cut some other people. Well, to Paul, it was just somebody who was with us and then all of a sudden wasn't with us. Now, Paul isn't ready at this point to give a second chance. Church family, does God give us second chances? And third, and fourth, and so on, and so on, right? Yeah. I think this is one of those times where Paul looks rather human. Yeah, and some of us have been there. Now, regarding disagreement or conflict, 
let me say this, and I've said this before, and I'm not the, I didn't coin the phrase, but I think it's always worth revisiting. When two people agree 100% of the time, one of them is not necessary. Right? If two people agree on everything 100% of the time, then one of them is not necessary. In other words, what are you bringing to the table? What are you bringing to the relationship in the office? What are you bringing to the marriage? And I know some of you, because I just know the nature of people, there are some people that, boy, at the first thought of conflict, if you had been standing with an earshot of Paul and Barnabas, hearing this sharp disagreement, some of y'all would have been just like backing off. Like, oh, you know. Okay. And, and my son is that way. At the slightest bit that somebody raises a voice, boy, Barrett just wants to retreat. He's like, whoa, whoa. You know, and some of you all are like that. The, at the slightest bit of disagreement. But I will tell you that disagreement is necessary. Disagreement is healthy. Disagreement, even conflict, is what allows us to grow. If everything is, wherever I was, verses 30 through 35 all the time, if it's all rosy and happy, then where do we grow? It is in conflict. It is in times of crisis. It is in when obstacles are put in our way that we grow as people. It is in those times that we grow as Christians. In uh, some years ago, a guy named Alfred Sloan was the CEO of General Motors. And GM was in the process, but they were considering acquiring another company. And I don't even know what that company was, what that company manufactured, but like large corporations do from time to time, they buy other companies. Sometimes it's to eliminate competition. Sometimes it's to get you know, uh, more efficient pricing for something they need in their manufacturing process. But nonetheless, uh, when considering the acquisition, Sloan says to his, uh, his senior executives, Gentlemen... I take it we are all in complete agreement on this decision. And there come the, the nodding heads. You know, the, the chief financial officer, the chief operating officer, the vice president of this and the executive vice president of that, senior management team all saying, yeah, yeah, this is good. We need to go for it. We need to, we need to make, this, make this purchase, make this acquisition. And this is how Sloan responded to complete agreement in the room. Then I propose we postpone further discussion of this matter until our next meeting to give ourselves time to develop disagreement and perhaps gain some understanding of what the decision is all about. In other words, I'm going to give you guys time to do your jobs. 
That's what I hear him saying. Is because you, you, it's, it's like he's saying, you've got to be kidding me. We're about to make this acquisition. And when companies like General Motors make acquisitions, it's not for $12.89, right? I mean, this is, is likely a, even decades ago, this is likely a multi-million dollar acquisition. And so Sloan is basically saying, there is no way that there is not one bit of downside, not one bit of consideration that somebody needs to be raising their hand in the room and saying, okay, it's not necessarily a bad idea, but one thing we need to consider is, and then presenting something that the people in the room need to consider. You know, here is a potential pitfall. Here is a potential downside to what we are about to undertake. Now, that's some incredible leadership right there. It's like we're all in agreement. So, uh, we're going to hold off until we get some disagreement in the room. Now, you, some of you sitting here this morning are saying, you've got to be kidding me. You know, he was unhappy because everybody was in complete agreement. You got it. That's exactly what he's saying. Because he understands that there's got to be a downside to something. And there's got to be some voice in the room that says, okay, before we proceed any further, we need to consider this. Years ago, my father-in-law was an elder at a church in Kentucky where Stacy and I were members for, for quite some time. Uh, well, her all her life until she, we moved here in 2012. But uh, but my father-in-law and I were talking. We were driving back from from Bowling Green, Kentucky, where we had attended a Saturday conference that was put on by Lipscomb at the Greenwood Park Church of Christ. And coming back, he and I, because I was on church staff at the time, and so he and I were talking about leadership and, and uh, talking about the, the elders in our, in our congregation. And I mentioned one of them uh, that had passed some time before this, and I said, well, I said, well, I said you know, uh, I, I remember making presentations to that group of elders before I was on the church staff. Uh, and was not regularly in those meetings. And I remember uh, attending a couple of meetings and making presentations. And I could tell he was, you know, the voice in the room that seemed to always be throwing up the caution flag. Always be saying, well now brothers, before we do this, that Greg's suggesting, we need to do this. And of course, the guy that's suggesting it, I just want what? I just want the rubber stamp, right? I just want to say, yeah Greg, sounds like a great plan, go for it. That, that's what I want. That's when I walk into the room, that's what I want. It's like going into a room to make a sale. I just want everybody to say, yeah, woo, let's do this. And so here is this, I know, his name was Jerry. And I knew that Jerry was the one that I was going to have the toughest time with. And, uh, and my father-in-law, and I thought this was a lot of wisdom on his part. He said, Greg, he said, we miss Jerry's voice in the room. When you had five shepherds ready to go in one direction and this one shepherd was, boy, just pulling back on the reins saying, whoa, now let's, let's consider something. 
Never once, to my knowledge, did he ever go against the other five once an agreement was made. He was willing to accept that, boy, that, that's their decision, I love them, and that, then we're going to go with it. I'm with them. But he always wanted to make sure he put on the table whatever his concerns were. Whether it was scriptural, whether it was his gut feeling, whatever it was. And I can tell you, that's when that body of shepherds was healthy. And I can tell you from my personal experience at the Hohenwald Church of Christ, we have a healthy body of shepherds here. Uh, because, and, and God bless them, they take turns. Sometimes being the voice that holds, that, that pulls back on the reins and says, let's consider this. Church family, when we encounter conflict, I want you to put, if you don't already possess this, I want you to put a new lens in your mind in which to see that conflict. That when you encounter conflict, that that little light bulb or whatever goes off that says, here is an opportunity to learn. Here is an opportunity for growth. That when we encounter conflict, that's something we need to be considering. Let's look over at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because uh, I want us to look, because I think Paul shows us uh, this and the verses we're going to look at in just a moment. Uh, Paul shows us his growth as a child of God. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 16. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, Paul talking about this ministry of reconciliation. That the idea is that God said, okay, my people are separated from me. And so Christ on the cross sheds his blood as an atoning sacrifice. And then what does that allow, church family? It allows us to be reconciled to God. But then Paul also mentions the fact that we are Christ's what? Ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? They represent. And Paul says, as if he's making his appeal to us. So in other words... We, as children of God, 
we represent God on this earth. Do we not? Yes. And so, as people who represent God, then what kind of people should we be? Agents of reconciliation. Children of light, children of peace. The kind of people who encourage people to come back together. Now, Paul writing these words to the folks in Corinth, and it's the second letter he has sent to Corinth, and so I have to think that this is well beyond the dust-up that happened between him and Barnabas. In other words, I think Paul has grown considerably. And if I question whether or not Paul has grown considerably, then I look at verses like Colossians 4.10. Now, I'll note that this, this, all these verses come at the end of some of Paul's letters when he's kind of issuing his final greetings. And so in Colossians 4 verse 10, he writes, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then he says, You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. In other words, this person that abandoned them in Pamphylia some time ago, that when he was ready to go back to the towns that they had already been through and revisit those churches and, and strengthen those churches. And Barnabas says, okay, let's take John Mark with us. He's ready to hit the road again. And Paul says, uh-uh, no way. He abandoned us once. I'm not going to give him a chance to do that again. Not in your life. And now, here he is saying, you've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Philemon, verses 23 through 25. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So here he counts John Mark among his fellow what? Workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Now, 2 Timothy, it's worth noting, is written at the end of Paul's ministry and life. It's in 2 Timothy that he pins those words. He says, I am being poured out like a drink offering. In other words, he's saying, you know, it's, it's, it's all poured out of me. It's, there's nothing, not much left in the tank. You know, I'm, I'm at the end here. My life, my ministry... You know, my traveling days are coming to a close. It's, it's, it's about done. And in that time, he is saying, I need some help. Come to me quickly. And he mentions Demas. He mentions Crescens. He mentions Galatia. I mean, excuse me. He mentions Titus. He mentions that Luke is there with him and then says, But bring Mark. Bring John Mark with you when you come because he is helpful to me in 
my ministry. Some translations there say valuable. How many people in your life do you need to be reconciled with? Or maybe you can bear witness. You can say, absolutely, Greg. There was a time when me and this person were on the outs together. Uh, we, we, were, we, were, uh, we, we were just not uh, getting along. And then at some point, we reconciled. And boy, praise God that we did. Because that person is valuable to me. Their presence in my life has been beyond helpful. We see right here that even Paul had his shortcomings. But Paul shows us that he at some point was willing to accept John Mark back as a brother and fellow co-worker to the point that even he late in his life could say he is important to me. He is valuable to me. He is so helpful. Church family, conflict is an opportunity to grow and reconciliation is an opportunity to demonstrate how much we've grown. Conflict is an opportunity to grow. Reconciliation is an opportunity to demonstrate how much we've grown. To demonstrate the love of God. We're going to take some time and gather around this table. Let's sing in preparation for that.